welcome everybody to another edition of Suave Talk presented by Dyer's Top Rods and Turbo. It's day 10,000 or so it seems of quarantine. Last time we talked to you, you were headed down to the bee farm. How was that and how are you holding up, bud? Uh, it was pretty good. I spent uh, like almost two and a half weeks down there and I actually just got back to my house last night. Um, it was pretty good. The weather was beautiful. It was like 90 degrees. There was a, it's like, it's, it's hard to explain if you've never seen it, but literally imagine a guy, you know, when you're driving through Iowa and you see all these cornfields and it's just fields and fields and fields of corn and there's big combines going through there. Imagine that, but instead of fields and fields of corn, there's just land everywhere with these bee boxes and there's 40 to 50 people literally digging through bees, grabbing queens, putting them in these little boxes. It's just a, like you would never understand what it takes to, you know, farm bees and sell bees until you've seen it in real life. And I got to, you know, kind of go around and see it and watch them uh, load the boxes into semis every day and just the, the different people that come and buy bees. And it's honestly a very, very impressive, uh, impressive deal to witness. And it's a lot of headache. And I'm glad Stephen uh, lets me work on his race cars and uh, doesn't want me to work on bees because it, it's definitely a lot of hard work. And just uh, it's it's just a, it's a crazy, crazy thing. You don't really understand, you know. How easy, you know, you go to a store and buy honey and you don't realize everything that goes into it, uh, you know, in order to get that. So shout out to Steven. It was good. We got his race cars were all ready to go. Rick cleaned up, um, just did a lot of cleaning and organizing and things like that. Didn't get to iRace, unfortunately. Still haven't got the call from WR1 on iRacing. So just, uh, just really put my nose down on the grindstone for about two and a half weeks and had a lot of fun. Got to go on the lake this past weekend in North Carolina. I had two days off. Uh, went to a good buddy of mine's house. Went on a lake. Did some wake surfing. And now we're back in Ohio. Um, really just searching for things to do. It's funny. Today I was cleaning my I was cleaning my truck at you know 11 in the morning here. And Josh pulled up. Josh lives right in town here. And uh, he pulled up. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I need some stuff for my camper. He's like, I'm about out of projects to do. What about you? I said, well, you see what I'm doing? I'm detailing my truck at 10 in the morning. Like I do it once a week when I'm home just because it, it kills, you know, half a day. So we're all kind of, uh, I guess we're all kind of looking for things to do. We're running out of uh, projects and things like that. And unless you want to spend a bunch of money with that on advisor, I think it's the right move right now. Everyone's just kind of in a standstill. Back to the bee farm. How many, like, is there like hundreds of thousands of bees in like one of those one boxes, right? Or maybe even millions. It's just a crap ton in how many bees fit in like one little area. Okay. So like the easiest way I can explain it is imagine like a, a bigger shoe box and inside of that shoe box, this is the bees that are out in the farm. So there's a bunch of land like old timberland and development. And they put these bee boxes, they have to have so much land to, in order for the bees to, you know, live. They, it's like cattle. You can't have them all in one place. Cause there's, they have to have so much room between them and this and that. But anyways, there's a big shoe box. Now, if you open that up on each side of it, there's like a little cylinder and they pour current corn syrup in it. And that's what the bees eat. And then inside of it, on each side, but split in the middle, and there's two frames. Like a frame would be like a book, okay? Yeah. There's two on the left, two books on the right. And when you pull that up, there is hundreds of, I, can't, I mean, I don't know how many bees are on this little frame, but as many bees as you could possibly put on there, there's bees on there. Well, they put a queen cell. I mean, there's a lot of science and things that go into this, but they put a queen cell on it every day, every couple of days. And their goal every day is when they go out there, when they pull in these boxes, from what my understanding, I might be wrong, Stephen might scold me, but they want to get a queen every day or every couple of days off of each one of these boxes. And like the one yard I went to, there was at least four or 500 boxes. And there's, I mean, there's these guards everywhere, all around town and stuff. So every day they pull a couple hundred queens. But when you pull the queen off that frame, so there's, a, there, hopefully there's two queen in every box, okay? So when you pull that queen off, you get three or four worker bees and you put them in this little bitty thing and it looks like a matchbox car box. And they sell that queen box for like, you know, a couple, couple bucks, right? Or they take that queen and those couple worker bees and they put them in a big package and then all the worker bees will follow and that's what they sell and ship, you know, all around the country. And it, that's another box that's about the size of the shoe box and it's got a queen and basically a functioning hive. And that's what they sell. And they sell... I mean, the one day they were, that we were there, they sold 2,000 packages, 2,000 boxes of bees in one day. So that's like an entire semi-load of bees. And that was just one day how many bees they put out. So you can imagine how many thousands of millions of bees that are going out, you know, from early January to mid-May. That's about their season. So, or early February to mid-May. So it's just, I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't imagine the amount of bees that are constantly the reproduction that they're doing, you know, every couple of days they're taking a queen, 
they're grabbing some of its workers and they let that hive rebuild for, you know, six, seven, eight days and they go to the next yard and do that. So they've got they've got to have enough yards and bees to to be able to sell the amount of bees they do. You could do it on a smaller scale and, you know, once a week make you a couple boxes, just me and you. Like there's some people that buy you know, 10 boxes and they just have them for fun. I think Bab has bees, you know, so. Let's get, hey, let's uh, start a bee business up here then. Let's go. During the hell tour, we'll get it rocking. I mean, that might be what we need to do because bees, apparently there's a, you know, it's a lucrative deal. And if you get the right people and the, you know, you can make it work, you can definitely make some money at it. So I asked Stephen about it. I was like, maybe if I retire, you know, racing shut down because this is the apocalypse and everything, maybe you can, <laughs> you know, shoot me a bone next year for bee season so I can, you know, keep living and, maybe thrive and be a, you know, be a millionaire one day or something, but it's definitely a cool deal. And, uh, you know, look into it. If you've never seen it, it's, it's honestly very, very impressive. And it's crazy. These guys, they'll go out there with no bee suit on these queen boxes and they'll dig through bees all day long. With, I mean, they're just wearing jeans, t-shirts. They don't have masks, nothing. And they'll mess with these bees. And I stood right there next to them one day. And, uh, I mean, if you don't mess with the bees, they don't want to sting you. But, you know, when they shake them to put them in the packages to sell, they definitely get a little angry or clouds. That's one thing I learned. They don't like cloudy days for some reason. It gets them all fired up and uh, they have to be in the right temperature. Like once you put them in that package box, they've only got a couple of days to live and they got to have good ventilation and stuff or they'll die, you know? So you, uh, I definitely have learned a lot um, about, you know, bees and just nature, I guess, in the last two weeks. And I mean, every time I go up there, I think it's really interesting and I like learning about it. So I try to get them to tell me as much as you will, you know, without, I guess, telling me the secret, uh, how to, how to make a bunch of money doing it. But uh, we're going to move along here. We're going to go to Berkey of the Week. And Turbo, we were talking about it. I'll just let you go first because I thought yours was pretty funny. My Berkey of the Week is, um, you know, what we're coming to at this point in our quarantine debacle, whatever you want to call it. Bubba Wallace lost a sponsor because of his actions, I would say. He, he you know, he rage quit. And then the week before, he, he fast restarted when he should have slow restarted or vice versa. And, I mean, it's comical to me. We're losing sponsors and people are getting scolded for their actions on iRacing. And, you know, I've definitely been in that situation. I got banned two races from the World Racing Group um, for my actions at one point. And uh, I would love to, you know, I would love for them to try to ban me from iRacing if I were to, you know, drop F-bombs and get crazy because this dude crashed me on a Wednesday night invitational. And I just think it's hilarious. Like, they're taking it. It's not that it's not serious or, you know, it's a it's a good opportunity for some people. You know, I talked to Mike McKinney yesterday for an hour about it, and he's like, man, it's a, it is a good opportunity for me. And But what I had to, you know, say, hey, man, I haven't spent 10 years of my life practicing iRacing. Like, I'm not going to go do it and get good in the next seven weeks and buy setups. And, like, I'm just not going to do it. It's not feasible, and it's not what I want to do. And the, the next thing that happened is if Bess called me and said, hey, man, you know, I think we're going to shit can you because you crash, uh, you know, you crash man and that's driving this. I mean, I would, I would lose my shit. Like I can't, it's a, it's a video game, dude. At the end of the day, it is still a video game. There's the guy, I mean, I'm not going to say any names, but there's a guy that runs top five and all these invitations I watched, that got laughed at a 30 lap on fans race, the last race that we raced. So it's hard to, you know, I don't want to be the guy getting laughed on. I race. And if I could do better in real life, but I, Part of me is because I know I can't do that good on it because I haven't played it. But at the same time, I mean, come on, dude. Like, if Clint Boyer doesn't want to iRace or Kyle Larson crashes one night, he's not, he shouldn't lose a sponsor. That's, that's silliness, you know? But and, I, uh, I agree with you there. I agree with you there. But this is kind of on, like, national TV. So, like, the sponsor's paying good money to get, you know, their name out there because it was on Fox Sports 1. But I get, like, in the lower level, I get it. But to put the taint, like, you just got to suck it up, though, when you're, especially when you're on a nationally broadcast on a Sunday afternoon. I want the real person, Bubba Wallace in real life, thinks a video game's silly. I mean, that's what you buy into. When a guy buys a Tyler Herb shirt, you know what he buys? He buys a guy that's, like, may drop an F-bomb, might get, you know, might get into a scuffle. He might throw a dirty ninja slider and crash somebody. Like, there's, that's what you buy into. You know what I mean? If you want a guy that can talk really good and is really good behind the camera, you call Devin Moran. You know, he can do both. I can't do both. I mean, I probably could, but, like, I'm just not. Like, it eats me alive at night. If I was on Fox Sports 1 and some shitbox crashed me and he can't line up or he's never even raced an actual car, you're right, I'd race quit and then I'd get on Twitter and be like, F this guy, he's a shitbox. You know, if he ever had to buy a real motor or fix a regular quarter pan, he wouldn't drive like that. So, fuck these guys. That's exactly what I would say. And, like, I might lose my Blue Emo sponsor or Emu or whatever it is. But, like, all I'm saying is, like, 
you should know that going in. You know Kyle Larson's going to be – Kyle Larson and Christopher Bell, they're the best racers, you know, God-given racers. That's kind of the saying right now, okay? We know that. Mike McKinney, he's good behind a camera. He's the NOS pusher, whatever. Like, I want him to see – you know, I want Scott to run fifth in this thing, and they interview him. He'd be like, you know, if I had the good setup, I'd fucking win this thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, be, be who you are. Just because the video game don't need to change who you are. If Bob Wallace wants to get pissed off in the video game and get pissed off in real life, let him do it. That's part of what TV is. TV's entertainment. People love Stone Cold because he throws beers. And I, mean, I like beers, so I love Stone Cold. But you know what I mean? He throws stunners. That's what he does. I just, I don't think that we should, I mean, be appropriate as you want to. But if Bubba Wallace in real life knocked the right rear quarter panel off, spun out eight times, slipped upside down, he's not going to finish the race and run six. So if he gets crashed, fucking quit. You know what I mean? Like, go do something else. You're sitting in your living room. I just, I'm not, I don't buy it. I hope Fox Sports 1 calls me to commentate because I'd tell it like it is. Oh, they went three wide. That guy flipped six times. He runs fifth. Yeah. He doesn't have to pay for it. It's not real life. It's a video game. Virtual reality. Virtual reality, whatever. I don't, hey, it's cool, but I'm not going to do it. I'm telling you, in a year from now, if we're not racing, call First Class Septic or Clayton Holmes. You need a driveway built or something. That's probably where I'll be. I probably won't be iRacing for a living unless they want me to just commentate. They won't pay me to commentate. I'll give him the best commentary Fox Sports 1's ever had. But until then, you're just not going to see me on it. You know what I mean? I'm sorry Blake Cannon and all those guys get pissed off. And what's that guy that works for World Racing Group that was trying to talk about marketing that day? I mean, I just, dude, it's the truth. Like, everyone has their own truth, and that's the truth. We're still here working on race cars. My good test, you know, trying to do everything we can do. These guys are playing video games. Point, I mean, point blank. Never say never, Turbo. I could see you in one of those cars. will be driving for me, but I'm just messing. My Berkey of the week is on-track altercations, whether it's iRacing on asphalt, iRacing on dirt, or Tony Stewart sprint car racing, Suave Nationals. Things are heating up. Again, these are virtual video games, and everyone is getting so salty. I can't imagine what is going to happen once we get back to real racing because people are on edge, and it's just funny. Like Even my buddies, we're playing. We're yelling at each other. You're seeing like Kyle Larson in a USAC race hitting another guy. You're seeing the guys in the NASCAR race hitting somebody. Imagine what's going to happen when we go to the racetrack for the first time. It's going to be banana land. I believe it. I mean, dude, we're all competitors. That's, that's what I'm saying. I don't. I wouldn't do it because I'm I'm too emotional. I'd get pissed off if a shitbox crashed me and he's 13 years old and that's all he's done last seven years. You know what I'm saying? Like, now if me and Scott Madden crashed on this video game, we're running 16th. It's like, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of where we put ourselves in this. But, like, I'm telling you, it's going to be wild. I hope come October they let us race in, like, the first races in Mississippi or somewhere where there's no rules and no cops because apparently that's how it is. Every time I've been down there, there's no rules and there's no security, so like gloves off, just do whatever you next want. Next time so we, next time you go down there, Turbo, we'll get the Fairbury crew. They'll be like your bodyguards, because I know, like in Mississippi, they love you down there. They love me everywhere. <laughs> well, our guests that we have coming up, I texted him yesterday and say, "Hey, can you come on the show? What time are you available?" And he says, "I'm available from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. and then it's more eye racing." And you become good friends with this guy, but Casey Schumann, he was a very good interview, and I love having him on the show. Love his different perspective in racing. Yeah, Schumann, he's a it's a hard, you know, it's crazy. He was a push and flipper, and now he's on the dark side, I guess. But he's a good dude. Probably one of my favorite people in the pit area besides him is Sawyer because we're just tight. We've got that connection for whatever reason. And, uh, she loves me and I love her. So shout out Sawyer again. I shout her out every time I get a chance. What, like, what am I ranked then? I'm not even in your top five or what? No, you're definitely in the top five, but Sawyer is sneaking in there. Sawyer's like a, a four sleeper hole right now. Yeah. She's, she's on the rise. She's like heating up and I'm kind of like losing. I'm like out of my prime. I'm in my thirties now. You're just maintaining. You're neutral. You're still you're still in the top three all day. All right, perfect. Well, this is our guest coming up, Casey Schumann. Joining us now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline is the World of Outlaws, Morton Building's late model series director, Casey Schumann. Casey, I first we gotta ask you, how you holding up during the quarantine? It's not going bad. Uh you know, it, it's uh, me and the family. We kind of we kind of like being home and and doing some things around the house. So it, it's not all that bad right now. I, I do, I am ready to go racing, but we're uh, we're surviving and, and having a good time. Yeah, it's got to be weird for you because you're staying at home. Usually, you're on the road over 250 days out of the year. It seems like so being at home, it's got to be a good restart button for you guys. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're uh, you know at home and and at WRG and the World of Outlaws. We're we have some time right now to do some stuff that maybe we wouldn't wouldn't have the time to do. You know, we'd be out on the road, 
you know, traveling around and stuff. So, um, it's, it's cool getting to catch up on some projects around the house that I've been putting off for the last year or so. Are you, I mean, do you, are you on like, like a corporate line watching the iRacing going on? Like, Hey, we need to fix this. We need to work on this. Or, I mean, what's your role as director of the world of outlaws, iRacing, E-Series, blah, blah, blah. It, uh, it, I, I didn't even know that it was going to be my job. It just kind of got handed over. Um, but I mean, it's, it's very involved and, and I'm doing most of the stuff that I would do, you know, on, on a, a normal race night. I mean, you know, we're, we're, um, basically sitting race directing and, and setting up formats and talking to the guys on the radio. And, and I mean, almost everything you would do through a normal night. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It, there is some technology that we have that, that we wouldn't have normally. I mean, I can go through and I was actually earlier this morning, just rewatching the races from last night and you can go and rewatch from every car and every angle and, and, uh, you know, the drivers aren't going to get away with much, you know, this way you can, you can go back and look at everything. So at what point are you going to start, you know, Hey, that was a dirty slider back it off. Or, I mean, do you tell them that on the race? Here? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. If, I'm I'm not an advocate for iRacing, just not for me, but I mean, at what point are you start laying down the law and, you know, suspending people and Bubba Wallace rage quit. So just say, you know, Scott says F it locks her down. I mean, are you going to drop him for two races? I mean, he can't be late. I guess he could be late. Like, say Scott misses a heat race. What are you going to do? Yeah, I, well, that's a good point. I mean, I, it's it's really, really tough the way it's set up right now and, and what you can watch. It's really hard to do some of that stuff right there during the, the race. Um, I mean, unless you're focused in right on that battle and it, it, it happens to be very blatant. I mean, you can do something, but... Um, it's just really hard to, to watch all of it right now. And I mean, this whole deal wasn't set up for a guy to sit here and play race control. I mean, it's set up to, to run itself and guys go play and have some fun. So, um, it's really hard to do right then and there, but like I said, it's cool to be able to go back and watch because there was some issues last night that, that some guys, you know, probably did some dumb stuff and now I can go back and watch. And, and I mean, yeah, if, if we go back and see that, that they did something wrong, we're going to go ahead and, and kick them out and they don't get to come back and play i love it i love it that's awesome we're actually at, and i i, I suggested this i think you know after after i go through it today i'm just gonna i think we're gonna put it on social media and say hey look this guy this guy and this guy you know they're they're suspended probation whatever it is just to kind of get the message out there that yes it's a video game but i mean you know we are still trying to trying to put on a little bit of a show and and i mean you know fans are wanting to see some good racing and for the most part it's been really good i mean you know, the finish last night was, was badass. I mean, there was three guys all over each other for the win. And, um, you know, there's, there's a fine line of having some fun with a game and, and getting out of control and being dumb. So, um, yeah, we're definitely going to have to have to address that. And that's what I'm working on today. All right, let's talk about real racing. We'll get out of the virtual world here. You've been involved in racing your entire life. You're the son of Ron Schumann, who won at Knoxville Nationals and an outlaw winner. What was it like growing up with a legendary father like that and growing up through the years and getting some tips and pointers from him? Um, I, it, was, it was weird because growing up, I didn't really think it was anything out of the normal. I mean, it, you know, he won a lot of races, and we, I got to see a lot of really cool parts of the country and do a lot of cool things that, that now I realize wasn't normal. You know, a lot of kids didn't get to go do that type of stuff. And, and a lot of people didn't have careers like he did. I mean, you know, once I started racing and, and I realized how hard it was, then you start appreciating, appreciating what, what he did and, and all those guys in that era, you know, winning races, it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and it's just, it was weird. I just, I just thought that was normal. You know, I thought it was normal. We'd get in the motor home and be gone for three or four months out of the year. And, um, you know, wake up in a new, new state and a new racetrack every, every night and, and, uh, winning a lot of races. That just seemed like a normal thing growing up. What was your favorite part of the country or where was your favorite part of the country to go to growing up? I honestly, when I, when I was young, I didn't even really associate it with States. I just associated like racetracks with, Hey, I, I know I rode my bike over here and they had some cool trails or there was a jump or, you know, I mean, I, I just, I associated it like that. So there was, I, I, I never really knew where I was when I woke up the next morning. Um, it was all about, about what I got to go do and play around with that day. But we always had a lot of fun in Pennsylvania. Um, we would always park our motor home at Bobby Allen's place there at his go-kart track. And, you know, I could go play around on some go-karts. I could ride my bike. Bobby Allen was always really cool to me. Um, always kind of kind of treated me like one of his and, and messed around with me a lot. So, uh, you know, we had a lot of fun doing that with him. When you started racing, how old were you? Uh, I ran a go-kart when I was 14. 
And then I, I got rid of that real quick, and I didn't race again. I, I started racing sprint cars when I was 17. Oh, so you were kind of a late bloomer. So when you started racing, did you? we asked this to Bobby Pierce and Devin Rain. Did you feel pressure, you know, trying to follow your dad's footsteps? And Or I feel like you're a type of guy that says, you know what, I don't care. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to try to make myself a household name. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I really didn't. I, I At that point, I kind of realized, uh, you know, trying to fill those shoes was something that was probably never going to happen. Um you know, there's just not a lot of people that that are that successful in that many races. And, and, uh, I was really just trying to do my own thing. And, and at that point, you know, 16, 17 years old, I really didn't want a real job. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to live that life. I wanted to sleep in during the day and, and go screw around all week and then be able to go make some money on the weekend and do that. So, I mean, that, it, it was, uh, it was never about trying to, trying to live up to what he did. It was more just trying to uh, to not have a real job. All right, Turbo, I'm going to play this clip right here. I'm watching it. It says, Casey Schumann versus the Flagman, 2008. We'll let Casey defend himself first, and then I know you've seen the video, Turbo. But right now we see Casey Schumann climbing up the flag stand, yelling at a, the Flagman at Kokomo here, and he is getting all fired up. What exactly happened on that night in 2008, Casey? You're very animated, well, by the way. <laughs> I mean, you really have to watch the whole thing to really understand. But um, I was actually starting the inside of the second row. And the first two starts, they called back, which I didn't think either of them were really bad. Um, and they put the front row or the, the pole sitter back. So now I'm on the pole. And I thought, all right, cool. This should be an easy heat race win. And, I mean, I knew he, he called a few back. And I, I tried to wait. And I waited all the way down to the tire. And, and uh I mean, I waited a long time and I took off and went and he called that one back and then immediately threw the black flag and put me to the back. Like I only got one shot at it. And you know, the way that we do heat races there at Kokomo, you, you line up the feature, how you finish the heat. So man, I'm, I'm racing for a living. I'm starting on the front row, which is, you know, should put me towards the front of a feature. And he turned around and, and one shot put me to the back. And now it, I mean, it made my night really tough. So I wasn't happy about it. I, uh, I, I kind of refused to go to the back and then they said they weren't going to score me anymore. So I did a little communicating with him from the car to the flag stand. And then they basically told me to get off the racetrack. So I wanted to go make sure he understood where I was and, and uh, what I thought about the situation. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's like three things I noticed, but I'll rate it a six for the, for the entertainment. <laughs> Just stopped it got out, kind of a little hustle sprint. I've watched it multiple times because I love stuff like this. Because I myself got myself in the situation. But one thing I did notice, your balls back in. Like, you always had the buzz cut rocking. I like that. Dude, I did. You made all that way up. Like, dude, just get all the way up in the flag stand and throw a haymaker. Do something at that point. Like, let him really know. You know? <laughs> well, actually, so, no. Um, I didn't plan on leaving the flag stand that early, but when the sheriff was tugging on my uniform, I thought, all right, I really don't want to go to jail over this, but, um, no, there was no repercussions. I mean, I, they, I actually, I, we never even talked. I never even talked to the track people or anything like that. And I, we ran there weekly. So I came back next week with no issues. Um, but yeah, what, what, what the other thing is, if you watch the video, like when I walked up there, the heat race is under yellow. And as soon as he sees me, he flips the red light on and stops the whole heat race. So we can sit and argue, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you definitely made a scene, and, like, I was just hoping you'd come in with a finisher, like Batista bomb him off the top of the fire. You know what I mean? Just do something. <laughs> because, like, me, if I'm in that situation, like, I've already crossed the point of no return, so, like, I'm going to get my money's worth. But, like, you obviously have a little bit more sense and more of a – probably a level head at that point. But, like, I was honestly pretty proud. Now, like, part of me wants to, like, kind of, like, see some shit go down at the outlaw race and, like, see how you handle it. Like, say, I mean, in the past, I really wish I'd been there, you know, the 97 times Tyler Bachman called somebody back on a start, especially myself. He gets great enjoyment out of it. And I'm talking, I dog-cussed him till the day he died. That girl got a lot of heat from me and the, the, the water truck guy at Fairbury. Like, fucking guy sprayed me with the water truck one day. Like, I'm in my shit, about, about to go hot lap. He just posed me with the water truck. So, like, I dumped the pit box. <laughs> Opened the door to the water truck and like tried to drag this guy out. Ecker was there and God was there. God is my witness. They watched it happen. And same thing, I kind of realized like, oh shit, this is bad. I did what you did. 
So I ran back to my truck, changed clothes, and the sheriffs were at my trailer, and they were trying to escort me out and stuff. And I was like, hey, man, I'm not leaving. I don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but, like, how do you handle that situation now? Because you race, you get it. Like, you're too level-headed for me. Like, even now, like, if you had that temper then or a little bit of anger, like, I want to see you, like, unleash it some night. Like, on some guy that comes up to you, bitch, about <laughs> a truck, you know what I mean? Well, I, I will say that, that uh, you know, last year, I there was only a couple instances where, you know, I kind of barked back and fired back at a guy that was yelling at me. For the most part, like, I get it. I, and I tell everyone, like, I know this is an emotional sport. I know, I know what you're going through or what you feel right now. Um, so get it out. You know, let's talk. I have no problem talking. You want to get disrespectful about it, then that's another situation. But um, there's been a, there was a couple of times last year where some guys, you know, started started uh, laying into me a little bit, and, and I kind of barked back and 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 uh, I think it surprised a few of the guys on our crew because I, I mean, really, I, I feel like I am pretty level-headed and calm for the most part, and and uh, they kind of looked like, where, where did that come from? And I have a point. I mean, I, I feel like I, I can stay pretty calm, but there's a point that'll get me pretty fired up, and and uh, that came up a couple times last year, and it obviously came up there in 2008 at Kokomo. Okay, last thing I got for you. Just kind of talk about, you know, from going racing full-time, making a living. I, I watched a video two or three days ago. It was on Jack Slash. Like, someone shared it, and it was of Kyle Larson and Rico showing up to Bloomington. And then they were going to Lawrenceburg the next night. Well, like, it's like a 13-minute video, and I watched it. It's like 2012, 2013. Didn't even realize that the guy that won the race was you, bald head once again, buzz cut. But, like, badass <laughs> night at Bloomington. And then I'm like, that's crazy. Like, less than six, seven years ago, this guy was racing for a living, you know, doing what we're doing and now he's like running our series. probably in a lot better you know a financially more stable job but like it just kind of told me the transition and like how you've had to change you know at what point did you say you know what i can do better doing this and running war than racing or you know at what point in your life did that all kind of change um i would say probably 2014 i just i just got to where i wasn't having a lot of fun um you know i i, I raced a whole lot on the local level in Indiana, you know, racing sprint cars and midgets and stuff. And for a long time, you can make a good living doing it. Um, but you know, and it got to where, you know, local races weren't, they didn't pay a whole lot. They pay 14 or 1500 to win, but you do that three nights a week and you run in the top three and, you know, all of a sudden you can make, you know, a thousand bucks cash or whatever. And, and it's really not bad. And then obviously you have some good weeks and, and some bigger shows and you make some money and, it wasn't bad, but about 2014, it just got to where I, I wasn't having a lot of fun. Um, and the team, I mean, the competition level around Indiana has gotten tough. I mean, you know, it's, it's basically you sat cars showing up to races that are 1400 to win and you, you draw for your heat race. So you get a bad heat, you know, you start eighth in the first heat and you're buried and, and all of a sudden now you're starting 18th in the feature and, and you drive your ass off to eighth and you made like $300. Um, so it just got, it got really tough to make a living doing it. Um, you know, the rides, when I first started, there was a lot of rides available in Indiana and, and, you know, now there, there's maybe a handful if that, um, so I mean, it got a little tough and it, it got to where I just wasn't having any fun. Um, the war deal, when we took that on, that was just to go have some fun. And, and that group over there was, was a group that I had a lot of fun racing with. And I, I saw a lot of things that that I think I could help them with and, and improve what they were doing. Um, so, uh, you know, it was just something different for me to do and, and have a little bit of fun going to the racetrack. And it really just kind of snowballed. I, I didn't really have any intentions of quitting racing and, and going and doing that type of stuff full time, but um, it just kind of led to that direction. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely more stable. I mean, just like you talk about, you know, you have nights where you, you're, uh, you're eating ramen and you win some races, you go out and you have a nice steak dinner you know, you get on a roll and you make a bunch of money and, and, you know, things are going really well and you get a bunch of rain outs or you have a couple bad nights and you crash some stuff. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at things like, man, <laughs> am I doing what I should be doing? So, um, I really just, I just got to where I wasn't having a lot of fun and, and wanted to do something different. I got to ask, how the hell did you become a fender director? I mean, I feel like those worlds can't cross, and all of a sudden you join into the dark side. I it's a it's it's pretty wild. Like I said, it, you know, when when I took on War, it was really just a joke. I asked the guy, "Hey, what do you want for it? Maybe I'll just buy it." And it was a joke, and it it happened. And then, you know, I knew Matt from Fairbury, and we worked a little bit together with the front car deal, and and I saw he was there, and then and then left, and 
I called someone at WRG and, and I said, man, that sucks that Matt's leaving. You know, he just got there. And uh, they said, yeah, you know, that, that kind of sucks. Would, you know, do you want the job? And I laughed and typical race car driver, you know, I, I said, well, what's that pay? And uh, they said, well, I don't know, but, you know, maybe, maybe we'll all throw your name out there. And next thing you know, I was at PRI, you know, sitting down with, with Brian Carter and Tom Deary and all of them and talking about it. And, and uh, I was kind of surprised that they were even serious about entertaining the idea of hiring me, <laughs> um, especially because I, I don't, I, I knew nothing about late models. I didn't watch them. I really, I mean, I knew some of the names, but I was, uh, I was very, uh, very green on the, on the late model side. So it really started out as a complete joke and, and snowballed into something, you know, and, and here I am a year later. Yeah. You, in, you get into the late model world and you have to admit, why do you think late model drivers have more characters? heroes and villains in any form of racing like they smoke sprint car world out of that for sure uh, they do i don't know i mean I, I i think there's just way more of them i mean you know there's late model racing is pretty damn strong all across the country i mean you know whether it's a local show or it's a lucas show or one of ours or you know one of the other 10 or 12 or 14 different groups around i mean it it seems like late models are very very strong and and one thing i, I really like about it and, and I, I tell all my open wheel friends about this is you go to a late model show and and it's grown men racing for a living. I mean, you know, it's, it is not, it's not a bunch of young kids and it's not their daddy's money. And, and, you know, the kids aren't in the, in the hall or playing PlayStation until hot laps. I mean, it, these guys are showing up, they've got a lot of money invested. They got a lot of time invested and they're, they're racing their ass off for a living. Um, so it, it's, you know, it can get serious. You, you don't mess with a guy's living. I can have my take on it is, um, you know, I don't, I don't know three or four guys late model world and that says it all right there i mean the difference in our stuff is you know to pull a motor it's not a 15 minute deal in between hot laps and qualifying you know you can't we don't i mean the hardest part from what i've seen maybe i'm wrong correct machine but like knocking a top wing off is like that's doomsday you know what i mean you knock a top wing off shit that's like six bolts a quick connect an adjuster you know what i mean like Mike Marler could go out and fall fine, blow the deck completely out of it, and Josh and Donk can do the work that it would take three sprint car teams to do, you know, in the same amount of time. And it's just, uh, I just think that a late model racer now compared to sprint car, not old guys, like Shots and Steve Kenzer and guys like that, I feel like they busted their ass and they like, you know what I mean? They built their own cars and just did more shit. Like nowadays, you get a guy that can show up to the Chili Bowl and buy a ride. I've had three or four people say, hey, man, why don't you race the Chili Bowl? This stuff's 10000 win. I said, because it's 10000 to win, and you got to spend 10000 to go. Or, you know, or you got right. a sponsor that gives 10000 to do it. I mean, if I get a sponsor to give me 10000 I'm going to buy tires and, you know, work on my late model <laughs> program where money. I could give two shits less about a three-foot-tall trophy. I want to win money. And I feel like that's yep. a lot of late models. They see the bigger picture. Like, you know what I mean? The Chili Bowl is 10000 win. I know it's prestige. It's badass. I might race it one day. You know what I mean? A lot of people want to race it. I mean, it's cool to win. Don't get me wrong, but you could go to BFE West Virginia and win a 10,000 to win with 26 cars. And guess what? I mean, the guy won 10 grand any way you look at it. And like, right. I just think that's impressive to me, you know, that that guy, you know, the Tyler Carpenter of the world or the Zach Dome, he works at nine to five. And on Friday night, he can go race for $50,000, $100,000. And he didn't have to fly from California to Indiana meet this guy and pay this guy to do it. And that's what I like about dirt late model racing so much better is it's just true hard nosed racers that know how to work on shit. They drive the truck. They don't stay in a hotel. They just do everything. You know, they, they are a part of every aspect of what's going on. And you can't take nothing away from a guy that wins a thousand one late model race or a hundred thousand one late model race. That guy has earned every bit of that. And that's, that's what separates late model racers from sprint car racers. And that in my mind is what it is. And a lot of sprint car people, you know, they want to disagree and, that's perfectly fine, but I just, that's, you know, that's what I see. You don't see a guy from NASCAR go rent a late model and race because it's too much work. At the end of the day, it's too much work. And, I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. A guy, it's a lot easier for him to show up chill ball, go race three nights, you know, flip it, tear his shit up, go home. You know, you tear up a guy's late model, somebody's got to fix it. And most late model guys aren't going to let some hot shoe come in and do it unless they're going to pay good to do it because it's just a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money. So, I think it's, uh, you know, it's more genuine. It's more of a everybody's got all their eggs in that basket and that's why it's got more of the more pulls than it does. I think, and that's probably part of the reason why I, I say I, I lost a lot of the fun in, in what I was doing is I think sprint cars were like that at one point, you know, when I first started, it was a lot like that. You know, there was guys were, 
it was a business and it was a living and you know guys didn't have they weren't flying in and out and, and with these big haulers i mean some were but you know i i think it was much more like that when i first started and and definitely in the 80s and stuff but i mean the 90s and even early 2000s it was it was much more like that it was much more of a business um and and now i, I don't feel like it's that way i feel like everybody that's in i shouldn't say everybody the majority that are in sprint cars and stuff right now they're just looking to try and go somewhere else. You know, they're, they're trying to go somewhere else. They're trying to get to NASCAR. They're the next, the next thing. And it seems like guys in late models, they're, I don't, I don't think they're looking to go somewhere else. They're looking to make a living, you know, and, and it, it is a business. So, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think that's probably part of the reason why I've, I, I lost some of the, the desire to do what I was doing with the open wheel stuff is it's just, it's, it's changed a whole lot, you know, from when I first started to where we are now. The World 100 is the late model race. The Knoxville Sprint Nationals is the sprint car race. What are some similarities and differences of the both events? Are they just completely not even close, like to being the same? Uh, I mean, so I've only been to one world. I obviously didn't really do, get to experience it as a racer or a fan. Um, but I will say, you know, the world seems like it is it is huge. I mean, there's to see that many people at Eldora, I mean, I, I thought I saw a lot of people at, at Eldora for some of the sprint car races and stuff like that, but uh, the amount of people that, that are there is just unreal. Um, I will say, I mean, Knoxville, it's got a ton of people. The whole town is full. The party is, is unreal. I mean, the atmosphere is something really, really cool. Um, I mean, I feel like the atmosphere at Knoxville is, is, is better, but like I said, I, I didn't really get to experience the world. Like I, I, I probably should have, or, or some people can. So, but I mean, it is, it's unreal. The amount of people and the amount of cars, and, and, and the amount of following that late models have, but the, the world is, uh, the world's pretty, pretty big. I mean, I, I, I was very, very surprised to see that many people and just how big of a deal it was. And that's what I think about sprint cars and late models. Like people don't cross over. You are like one of the few people I know that, you know, I've experienced both parties. Some people may go to a sprint car race, but if you're a late model guy, you're going to a late model race. You could care less about sprints and vice versa. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know why there's that that imaginary wall between the two. And and uh, like I said, I, I I didn't know anything about them. I didn't watch them. You know, when I was racing a sprint car, there was probably late models running that night at some tracks, and and I never even bothered to go watch. Um, but now that I have, I mean, I, I mean, there's no doubt that I've become a, a big late model fan, and and it's not just saying that because because that's where I'm at now. I mean, you know, they they put on some badass races, and you know, even now nowadays when I I'm not at a track and and something else is streaming, and and I'll watch a late model race most of the time over a, a sprint car race. Just it's uh, I, I'm a fan. I mean, they they put on some great races. Well, I'm glad we converted somebody from the the other side, as I should say. <laughs> I, and I would love to, and I, I mean, I've talked about it with, with WRG a lot is, is I would love to get some more races where we have both. I mean, you know, the world finals is a pretty good example. There's, there's a ton of people there. And, and I think if we do some more where they're, they're together, I, you know, and we maybe force a sprint car guy to watch a late model race and we force a late model guy to watch a sprint car race once, then, you know, I, I mean, I can't see how they wouldn't be a fan of both because, because the product on the racetrack is, is awesome. What tracks in your eyes think could pull that off? Because that'd be a pretty big purse, but what tracks could you see possibly doing that? Um, I mean, obviously, places in the Midwest would be, you know, ideal just because that seems like the heart of all of it. But one thing I, you know, I went to a lot of racetracks for the first time last year that I'd never been to. And every time I got there, I'd go look at it and I'd send some of my open wheel guy, you know, buddies, videos or pictures of this place. And I'm like, man, could you imagine running a nominee sprint card place? You know, Duck River and, and, uh, Bulls Gap and some of those places that would just be badass to to watch non-wing sprint cars, um, but I mean I, I would somewhere in the Midwest it would would be pretty cool. I mean Fairbury is an awesome racetrack that anything I've ever watched there is, is puts on a really great show, um, and I keep bugging Matt to try and get a non-wing sprint car race there again, but um, that would be one that'd be cool. One place I really wanted to try and get the late models to this year and it just didn't work out was Putnamville, uh, Lincoln Park Speedway here in Indiana. It's probably one of my favorite racetracks in the whole country. Um, I saw Don, I, think, I saw uh, Don O'Neill flipping hot laps there like sideways in the Summer Nationals race in like 2011, I think. It was wild there, but yeah, yeah. I love that track in Indiana. It's not far from Bloomington Normal either. It's only like three hour drive. It's a perfect track for that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's got a lot of character. It's got a big old monster curb, and you guys can go, you know, knock knock the quarter panels off there. You can go roll around the bottom, and um, it's just a cool place. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of places. I, I just like I said I think if you uh, if we kind of 
force it to some people and, and make them watch a little bit of both. I think, I don't see why they couldn't be a fan. I mean, you know, there's, I don't know why the wall is up there. I don't know why it's such a divide between the two, but um, I mean, if you're a race fan then then you should enjoy both really. Last question is, I don't know if you heard any of these swap talks. We do a driver assessment on Tyler Erb. You've seen him race before. We're trying to make him the best driver in the country. We are trying to dethrone Brandon Shepard. So we're getting all these people in the industry giving us some tips and pointers. So what do you see assess a letter grade and what does he need to improve on so we can be the best driver in the country? And be honest. You got to oh, be honest. Man. You got to be honest. I'll, I'll be honest. I, like whenever he does show up and I like, there's, there's a few people that show up that I wish I had radio or w- I wish I could just talk to them during the race and, and he would be one of them. Um, patience, man. That's, you know, I, there's no doubt that, he can run just as fast a lap as anyone, anytime and, and come from deep. I mean, you know, it's all there and, and it's probably nothing. He doesn't know. He knows it. I mean, Cedar Lake is a good example. It's like, man, you're starting on the front row of a hundred lapper and you smoke the fence and turn two on the first lap. And I, I mean, I, and like I said, I know this, this ain't, this is nothing that you don't know, but I, I think I, there's no doubt you can win a ton of races and, and win championships just, and that's part of it. You know, part of being young, you grow up a little bit, you'll get, get a little patience and win a ton of races. When's the first championship? Give me a year, hopefully 2020. Um, I'm going to say the first championship will be 2021 world of outlaws. Oh, there you go. I knew that was coming. (laughs) There you go. God, I hear you. So no pressure, bud. I hear you. Okay. Noted. <laughs> you just you just get so you work on some of that patience this year with that other group. Come on over twenty twenty one and and you know go get you a trophy. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> He's recruiting you, Turbo. You're a hot ticket item. There you go. Hell, I was recruiting him. I was recruiting him all winter. Well, the he thing did. is, he you tried. the thing is, you said patience is like the first word. You should have saw him like when he was fifteen or sixteen running the summer national bull rings. That that, that was even. Oh on the radar, but now he's learning and learning. And I've seen this kid grow up to be a pretty fine racer, but yeah, it's pretty funny. You should have saw him like five years ago. I could only imagine. <laughs> I could only imagine him out on the road with whoever it was at the time, but out on the road to 16 years old, out of control. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Casey, appreciate taking time out of your day for this interview. Hope you and the family stay safe, and we can't wait to see you at the racetrack here this summer. Man, Turbo, Casey Schumann, I, I never really sat down and interviewed him. We talk a lot in the pits, but he was a very, very good interview. Yeah, he's always, like, cool, calm, collected. You never see him fired up, and it's, like, it's good to get to hear, you know, his backstory and, like, what he thinks about everything that's going on right now, too. Also, have you ever seen that video of him going up in the flag stand? Probably one of my favorite videos because I get a lot of shit from a lot of people about some of the actions I've done in my life. And for him to be the series director, it's just so funny because, like, anytime someone goes and bitches at him, like, he really can't say anything because he literally ran from the <laughs> front or back way to the flag stand, climbed two stairs up. Like, you were almost there. Like, just get in the flag stand and, like, get it on. You know what I mean? Like, I was kind of disappointed he didn't finish the job, but he definitely made a statement that day, and that's awesome. Like, that's the kind of guy that I want to run my country. No matter, Yeah, no matter how you act moving forward, you still have a shot, you know, to get a big-time job in racing afterwards. You know, they can throw that out the window. Yeah, I mean, not. I know one guy just got released from World Racing Group, and I'd love, you know, if we don't get to race, I mean, I'll, I'll happily run World Racing Group and uh, just really be the most honest, uh, you know, the honest, most honest CEO they've ever had, I'd say. We'll keep this party rolling. It's our Ask Jeeves segment. And with this sim racing take Amer- taking America by storm, besides me and you, we had to do an iRacing category. And Turbo, when I see these rigs on TV, I'm amazed at how neat they look. Like, no doubt, they look pretty cool. So it has to make sense. We had to do Ask Jeeves. We had to do who is Chad Wheeler. And Chad Wheeler designs the WR1, not the XR1, but it is basically the rocket chass- chassis, I say, with you know the fingers of the sim world. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw them however many years ago they come out, and I was like, that's badass. And then I got to looking into them, and I was like, holy, you could spend seven, you know, five to seven grand on one of these rigs. And that's kind of what I'm, another reason about the iRacing. Like, if, if I'm going to iRace, I'm going to 
you know, I want to do it in the best thing they got just because that's badass. That's the way racing is. That's the way people are. They spend the most money possible to give themselves the best chance. So, like, if you're going to go the World 100, are you going to do it in a, you know, a 98 square tube GRT or are you going to get a brand new XR1? So it's the same thing. Like, if I'm going to iRace, I'm going to get a WR1 sim from Tad Wheeler. And that's where a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, you don't have to have that or you don't. But I mean, why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Like, if you want your cake and you want to eat it, that's what I'm going to do. If you don't want to do that, that's your fault. But that's the way, that's the person I am. So, yes, the WR1 is like the creme de la creme of, I would say it's not the creme de la creme, but it's the creme de la creme of the most affordable ones. They make $50,000 raised mass. But like, Kurt Bush posted a picture of his and he had one. You know, Tad posted a picture a couple days ago on Twitter, and he had, like, five of them. There's a blue, two red, and two black. Like, I mean, it's really, like... So his business is booming right now. He's loving this right now. He he was ahead of the curve. He must have started the corona because he was like, shit, I got to start these rigs. And now he's, like, he's. I mean, he's the guy to talk to if you want a sim rig, I think. Yeah, and I'm looking over here. One of them costs almost $7,000, another 6000 But they have affordable ones that are like $1,500. But you could also be like that uh, Timmy Hill Jr. or whatever, the guy that won at, uh, a couple weeks ago on NASCAR Fox. He just has an old regular setup with just like a, like a regular steering wheel just strapped onto his desk. So it's just kind of cool to see what different guys go to to win that. But Timmy Hill has also been a guy that's been racing iRacing for a long time. But, you know, he's in the NASCAR ranks and – pretty cool to see the differences like one guy has like rayburn type you know the low level one and other guys have the you know the big time rocket xr ones which is like the sim ones that that guy makes yeah the next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a you know a guy that's going to pay a programmer for iRacing to know hey man if you can speed my car up. i mean it's just a computer program so there's i'm just saying it's going to get dirty there's going to be some uh, blackmail and i'm just saying iRacing will be out of control just like regular racing we're going to have to have a rules committee and Things are going to get out of hand here. When you get big money involved in anything, it always turns, you know, a little sketchy and dirty. And I just, I'd say in a short coming, there will be some sort of scandal with iRacing that this guy paid five grand to win the Fox Sports 1 Wednesday night edition. That's just my two cents. Maybe I'm just a conspiracist. Moving on, last couple things here. We're sitting at April 7th. This is almost four weeks since Illinois has been, you know, complete lockdown, you know, social distancing. When do you think, gun to your head, that we'll be back racing? My best, I, I watched, I, uh, yesterday driving back from Georgia, I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with all the doctors. I listened to CNN, Fox, I mean, both parties. I don't, I don't care which news is which, but I just listened to it just to kill time. And I mean, honestly, my, my hope would be July, August, but. Please yeah. be July. It's the Prairie Dirt Month. I, I mean, I would love, I would love for it to just be like starting at the month of money, just start, start at the first crown jewel and I'll be perfectly content. We'll get some good testament before then, but man, it's just not looking good because like Sweden has had like a, basically you can do as you want, you know, just be aware and their, their numbers are steadily spiking and this and that. And, you know, they're predicting that there's going to be a hundred thousand cases and, you know, around a hundred thousand deaths that'll people that'll turn to fatalities or whatever. But I just, I mean, I really don't know. Right now, we're all just kind of pawns of the news. And, you know, this guy, he's got a friend that knows a governor that has heard this inside information. This guy knows this. But one thing I do know for show, one thing I know two things for show, my buddy Todd Bonsonar says that. But, like, the Walmart has 500 people in it every single time you go in it. And if they're really, really trying to stop it, I feel like we've got to do a better job, you know, in that situation. Like, you can go into Walmart. I've been to Walmart in Georgia, North Carolina from here to Ohio in the past two weeks, and they're all packed. I mean, they're 100% packed. There's people running around like nothing's changed. And, you know, we're still eating food from restaurants, and there's just a lot of ways. And, I mean, I'm 99% sure I already had the coronavirus around Volusia time because I was in Australia. I just – I had all the symptoms. I've never been a Weezer, and I had all that things. And it just – uh, you know, maybe I did spread it and give it to some people that were racing. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it's just – a what do you do? Like, do you just live and take your chances or do you actually do what we're doing? And I mean, I want to, I want to get back to racing. So if we got to not do nothing for three or four weeks, I feel like that's what we've all been doing, but it's going to come a time where people are just going to say F it and go back to work. I saw Jeff Allgaier put on Facebook. He was like, I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to work. I'm not living scared. And then, you know, on the other hand, you got my buddy, Webb Dillard, who's like, Hey, just stay home, write it out which he lives in a good place. He's in the Keys. He's on the ocean every day. He would love to ride it out. That's what he's doing. <laughs> but it's just, 
I mean, you have two, you've got two sides, the people that are really scared to give it and get it. And then you got the people that are like, F it, I'm going to live, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, I'm trying to do the right thing. And I think a lot of people are, but there's going to come a point in time where, you know, a guy that doesn't have money or can't have food and people are going to get desperate. And when people are desperate, they'll do anything to survive. And as bad as that sounds, you know, that's 50% of America, all the waiters, the waitresses, the people that are out of work right now, you know, we, you gotta, you gotta give them, this is like the only time in their life that they have done nothing wrong and they can't go to work. You know, a lot of people, they do things, get fired and things like that, but there's a lot of people that are, that did everything right, went to work, worked hard, and they're not getting to work right now. And it's going to come to a point where, Hey, we gotta, either gotta let the people do what they want to do. And if they get it, they get it. Or, you know, if you lock everybody down and it gets to a point where nobody has any food, nobody has any money, things are going to get hectic and get crazy. And I just hope it doesn't get to a point like that. You know, I, I want, the world to pick up and be better than ever and whatever it takes to do that i mean i'm really on board with it just like you know most people are we just want to get it done and over with and put it in the past but just listening to the news and you know just paying attention to things it doesn't look like we're on the fast track to opening back up here in the next month what do you think i think it's we're going to be racing well give me your time yeah well i mean what do you think what's your take on it i think july 1st is going to be where they can do it. I think maybe we can see some races that might be broadcasted, broadcasted whether it's on Lucas Oil TV or, the, you know, Dirt Vision or Dirt on Dirt. Maybe a track's like, hey, we're going to have a five grand to win show. We can only have 400 people, you know, in the facility. So they might get, you know, they might get 100 cars maybe total, one crew guy, and then no fans, and they just broadcast a live pay-per-view. But I think in order to do that, the a uh, purse has got to be really, really low because I don't think a track can afford that. They just got to rely on the pay-per-view money. So I could see maybe something in June, but I think we'll go full-blown July 1st. That's what my gut's feeling. And I've got to go with July 1st just because the Prairie Dirt Classic's at that month. I-80, one of my favorite tracks. And then the Summer Nationals. We can, we got to have the Summer Nationals. I mean, that's a staple. That's part of my job. That's the best part of my job, actually. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I do hope, and I, I think we'll know – like, I think right now when we get to April 30th, when Trump announces what the next move is, I think that's when we'll know for sure. If he stand, extends it out another month or he's like, hey, you know, it, then we're like, holy shit. I mean, he's pushed it back two times. So I think April 30th will be like, not Groundhog's Day, but like, what would be even better than that? Like, what would be like a big monumental day? Like the day Dirt on Dirt became Dirt on Dirt is what, April 30th. That's the equivalent. Like, it's going to be a big day because we're going to be like, okay, this is what we got. Oh, all I know is that first weekend that everybody can go out and do stuff, it's going to be like one of the biggest party weekends. It might surpass 1976, the 200th birthday of the United States, or when they ended the prohibition of alcohol. Like, it is going to be insane. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it's going to be wild, and I'm sure that we will all be outside and partaking in any activity that we're allowed to do. Turbo, you stay safe. Have fun. I will see you at the racetrack sooner rather than later. Hope you have a good one, bud. You too. Thanks for having us on again.